0: I to invite you to John chapter 19. Would you look there with me please? I'm excited about this new series. For all of you uh, fitness junkies, you probably don't need any explanation of what CrossFit is. But for others of us, uh, it is of course a reference to an intense timed workout that includes a series of things. Push-ups, squats, weightlifting, running, all sorts of stuff. All with the intent of producing healthy people. So physical health. What we're going to do with it is we're going to take a fresh look at the intensity of the cross that we might have better spiritual health. Can I get an amen? Amen. So uh, those of you that were worried that somehow we were going to deal with physical health, don't worry about it. You might be out of shape if, are you ready for this? Okay. If you have trouble pulling apart the supermarket shopping carts... You might be. You might be out of shape if you've torn something turning off the alarm clock. You might be. You might be out of shape if you believe, if you count running late as exercise. So (laughs) you might be out of shape if looking through your wedding photos, your children want to know who your mom was, who the mama was married to first. And then last of all, you might be out of shape if you name your dog seven miles just so you can say you walk seven miles every day. <laughs> Taking notes, some of you right now. <laughs> Call that dog seven miles. Some time ago, the Lord laid on my heart the, uh, the cross and... Uh, I, I got to. I confess to you that I'm a little overwhelmed with the study of the cross and each time I get to preach on it, I don't think I ever do it justice. It's one of those things that I'm afraid we have wandered far from that occasionally we need to be brought back to. I was in a restaurant uh, some time ago now and a, a young lady came to the table to wait on me and as she poured my coffee, I noticed that uh, she was wearing uh, a beautiful necklace and had an open cross on it and and I inquired, I said, um, I said, are you a Christian? And she looked at me kind of funny and she said, what? And I said, are, are you a Christian? And I, I tapped here thinking she would understand I'm talking about her cross. And, uh, and she grabbed her cross and she said, oh. She said, no, no I'm really not. She said, I just saw this and thought it was really pretty. I think sometimes the emblem, and I, I remember as a young preacher, uh, I would talk to other pastors and they would say to me things like, you know, we, um, we use as the emblem of Christianity the open cross, the empty cross, not Jesus on the cross or the crucifix. And, and the reason for that is he's not there anymore and he rose from the dead. And I agree with all that, but listen to me, I'm afraid there's nothing wrong with remembering what he did on the cross. We've turned it into this beautiful emblem and we have forgotten that the cross was an excruciating place of punishment and pain and suffering beyond our imagination. No one wears around their neck an electric chair or a guillotine but we wear the cross. Do you wear it understanding what was the event that took us to that place? What happened? I hope you do. So many times we forget I think if we stayed close to the cross, we'd have a lot less trouble with our own personal commitment to Christ. I really do. Now in this series, here's what God's laid on my heart. There are five prepositional phrases in the scriptures and we're gonna look at each one of them through a five-week series. Today we're gonna talk about on the cross. Later we will deal with in the cross, of the cross, through the cross, and by the cross. But right now we're gonna look at on the cross. So in John chapter 19, just before I read to you verse one, let's pray together and then we'll do a little bit of reading, okay? Father, we come to you and we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for what our ears have already heard and what we've experienced in worship. And God, we thank you that we have forgiveness of sin through the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for giving him for us. We thank you, God, for your love for us, something that we struggle to understand. And today God we are in need of the work of the Holy Spirit. He is our teacher, he is our guide. You've taught us that, you've told us that. So God I pray, teach us. We ask God that we open our hearts Lord and minds to your leading. And you direct us from your word and if there's one here today that's never been saved, I pray God today they'd come to know you as their savior and they trust you today before they leave this building. And for those of us God who are saved, help us to recall help us to remember help us to be reminded of what happened that day on the cross in Jesus name amen we begin reading in John chapter 19 and verse number 1 the bible says so then pilate took jesus and scourged him now would you stop for a moment i'd like for you to do something i don't know if you if you are the kind of person who highlights and underlines But I I wanna encourage you to underline that word, scourged, for just a moment, okay? I want you to underline it, and then let's read on. So the Bible says, Pilate took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they uh, put on him a purple robe, and they said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him with their hands. And of course, all of this in a sense of mockery uh, to Jesus. Now, we'll fast forward a little bit, Pilate has found no fault in him, but skip down with me to verse 17. He gives them over anyway to be crucified, gives Jesus over uh, to be crucified. Verse 17 says, and he, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha, where they crucified him. Would you underline the word Crucified. I wanna take just a moment in the way of introduction with you and talk to you about those two words, scourged and crucified. Before I do that, let's read on. And it says, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. Now, Pilate wrote a title and put it, here's our phrase, on the cross. And the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. We'll come back to that title and that sign in just a minute. Let me talk to you about scourging and being crucified. We read those words, and I'm afraid sometimes we just pass right over them. It's a simple little word, scourged. But what does it mean? It's a simple word, crucified. But what exactly does that mean? And I'm afraid sometimes we... uh, we treat it sort of uh, frivolously and, and as though it, it doesn't mean to us what it really ought to mean to us. And, and let me do something here I, I don't like to do often, but I'm going to do it, and that is I'm going to read to you what one person has written to define scourging. Would you listen to this little paragraph if you'll bear with me a moment? Scourging, he said, was a type of flogging. It was a legal preliminary to every Roman execution. By the way, let me pause a moment and tell you this. The Jews, by law, could not crucify. So they accused Jesus of claiming that he was a king, hoping that by way of treason, the Romans would crucify him. And indeed, the Romans did crucify him. But nonetheless, it was at the beckoning of the Jews. The usual instrument for Uh, scourging was a short whip with several single or braided leather thongs of variable lengths in which small iron balls or sharp pieces of sheep bone were tied at intervals for scourging the man was stripped of his clothing and his hands were tied to an upright post the victim was flogged either by two soldiers known as lictors or by one who alternated positions The severity of the scourging depended on the disposition of the lictors and was intended to weaken the victim to a state just short of collapse or death. As a matter of fact, history says many who were scourged actually died from the scourging. And we read simply, Pilate scourged him. As the Roman soldiers repeatedly struck the victim's back with the full force, the iron balls would cause deep contusions, and the leather thongs and sheep bones would cut into the skin and tissue. Then as the flogging continued, the lacerations would tear into the underlying skeletal muscles and produce quivering ribbons of bleeding flesh. Pain and blood loss generally set the stage for circulatory shock. And we read, Pilate scourged him. It's difficult for us to understand what Jesus went through even before he was nailed to the cross. Speaking of which, we say crucified. They crucified him. Not a great deal of detail is given to us in the scripture about this whole process. And yet many of you have studied and you have heard and you are aware what crucifixion entailed. Someone has said the Romans did not invent crucifixion, but they perfected it. Many times the Romans actually had a choice as to whether they would tie the criminal, the condemned, or nail them to the cross, although history says it was their preferred method to nail. These nails were, according to uh, what uh, history shows, five to seven inches in length, And some three-eighths of an inch across tapered iron spikes many times they would nail not in the palm as we might think they would nail in the wrist because nailing in the palm the weight of the body would rip them loose but nailing them in the wrist which was considered part of the palm was done so that the body could remain on the cross given the weight of the body the feet sometimes were nailed through the ankles on the side of the post, although sometimes they were one over the top, nailed through the top of the ankle and through the bottom or the heel of the second foot. Nonetheless, Jesus, the Bible says to us, was nailed on that cross. Say, so how do you know he was nailed and not tied? You remember Titus, the testi- I'm sorry, you remember the, the testimony of Thomas? when Thomas was talking to the other disciples and they said, we've seen the resurrected Savior. And Thomas said, "Uh, I'll not believe it unless I myself can put my finger into the print of the nails. So Jesus was crucified. As they led him there, the Bible says he bore his cross, later another of the Gospels, which by the way, the crucifixion is of course in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Some of the others cite that a man was chosen to carry the cross for him and that is indeed what it says. However, tradition says he fell beneath the weight of the cross and that is not recorded in Scripture. But someone was chosen to help with the bearing of the cross. It might be interesting for you to understand that that is the cross beam that was normally what was carried. That the the cross in its entirety weighed nearly 300 or a little over 300 pounds. The upright beam would have been left in its place, and the condemned man would have carried the cross beam, which in most cases weighed somewhere around 125 pounds. It would have usually been tied to the arms of the condemned as they carried it to the place of the crucifixion. History tells us that they would take the person who was condemned and they would violently throw them to the ground. In Jesus' case, they would have thrown him to the ground, a couple of soldiers laid hands on his hands, and then driven the spikes through his wrists. And we read, they crucified him. They crucified him. They didn't have to hold him down. It wasn't the nails that kept him on the cross, was it? It was his love for us. What a remarkable thing that is to think he would have loved us so much. The story says, the history records that the site of the execution was outside the city walls and that Roman soldiers were assigned to each one who was condemned and that they could not release that person, that body, until they knew for certain that that person was indeed dead. When you come to the end of the story, you find, of course, that Jesus was on the cross and he had already died. He died earlier than some and and even surprised Pilate. You might remember when they came to beg the body of Jesus, Pilate marveled and he said, Is he dead already? A Roman soldier is said not to have broken his legs but to have taken a spear and thrust it into his side. Some believe maybe that was some sort of an act of, of mockery and defiance. and No, it was actually something they were trained to do. They could not release the body until they knew for certain that the body uh, was indeed deceased. And so this would have been an act of the soldier to pierce the heart. And the Bible says outflowed blood and water. Some have said and those who understand science better than I have said that this is a sign of a broken heart. A massive heart attack which in a way we would have to say was the grace of God the Father showing mercy that he did not stay there longer than he did. The scriptures tell us on this cross there are three things. We're going to look at those three things in just a minute. But I want to remind you of why Jesus did all of this. I want to remind you that it all has to do with you and me. that, That it has to do with our sin having to be atoned for. And God the Father said the one thing I'll accept and nothing else is the shedding of blood. And so Jesus gave himself for us. For us. So let's talk a little bit about this. The actual cause of death, uh, usually for crucified victims, was multifactorial. Uh, It was related primarily to shock from a a, a low uh, blood volume or exhaustion, uh, asphyxia, or perhaps even heart failure. Those are the normal causes of death on the cross. So let's take a look, first of all, at something we see on the cross if you've got your study sheet with you and you'd like to fill in the blank as we go number one the sign that was seen there the sign that was seen there I believe the Romans called it a titulus and it was to record usually the accusation against the person who was condemned I say usually because although the other gospels use the phrase accusation the Bible here as we read it pick up with me if you would please verse 19 now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. Notice he doesn't call it an accusation. John didn't call it an accusation, he called it a title. What was the title? The Bible says in the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Therefore the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but he said, I am the king of the Jews. Now there was a big difference. Can I get an uh-huh? And the people, the religious people of the day knew that. They saw that and they said, wait a minute, uh, you have written the king of the Jews. Now, Now this is interesting because a study of Pilate sort of indicates that Pilate is beginning to believe who Jesus really is. Remember, he said on one occasion, he said, I find no fault in him. Let me release him to you. Don't you want, it was the time of the, the feast, don't you, don't you want me to release? No, no, the crowd said, crucify him. Give to us Barabbas. Barabbas. So Pilate writes, king of the Jews. He asked Jesus on one time, one occasion, he said, are you indeed the king of the Jews? And Jesus' reply was, Uh, As you have said. Yeah. Interesting. Yet he went on to say you need to understand something. That my kingdom is not of this world. So Pilate understood him to be the king of the Jews. That title is... uh, found back when the wise men were searching for the baby Jesus. Do you remember that? Uh, The scripture records in Matthew 2 and verse 2 saying, where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. You might recall that the king of the day was a little worried about that when he found out there was a king of the Jews that were born, uh, that was born. And so uh, uh, nonetheless we have this phrase, the king of the Jews, And so what they were saying, the religious crowd was, uh, don't put that up there. Stay, say instead that he claimed to be. Say that he said he was the king of the Jews. Use that because that is an accusation consistent with what we want. We want treason. Anybody that says anybody's king other than Caesar, they're guilty of treason. That was the thought behind what they were doing. So we have this The sign. The sign. And I draw your attention to a question the disciples were asked by the Lord Jesus in Mark chapter 8 and verse 27. Now, Jesus and his disciples went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road he asked his disciples, saying to them, Who do men say that I am? So I ask you today, Who do you say he is? You say, Oh, well, he is the Christ, he is the Savior. He is the Son of God. Well, let me ask you this. Is he your Savior? You know, there's a difference in saying he's the Savior and saying he's your Savior. There's no question he is the Messiah. There's no question he is the Christ. But if you made him your Savior, so who do you say that he is? There were no accusations to write against him because he had not sinned. And again, Pilate, he he marveled at this whole deal. I I can't find any fault in this man. And later, of course, we understand the scriptures to say and to teach, and we'll deal with that in a moment, that that there was no sin in him. He, He had no sin. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Which brings me, if you would, to the second thing on the cross, or what I'd like for you to observe with me, which is the son that was slain there. If you'll skip down in John chapter 19 and look with me at verse 31, we find a reference to the bodies that were on the crosses. In verse 31, the Bible says, Therefore, because it was the preparation day that the bodies should not remain on the cross. There's our phrase again on the cross, on the Sabbath. "'For that Sabbath was a high day. "'The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken "'and that they might be taken away. "'Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first "'and of the other who was crucified with him. "'But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, "'they did not break his legs. "'But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, "'and immediately blood and water came out. "'And he who has seen has testified, "'and the testimony, his testimony, is true.' And he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. And he goes on to say that this was in fulfilling of the Old Testament scriptures. That not a bone would be broken. And of course John is referring to himself when he's writing this. He said, I want to testify to the fact that I actually saw it. And, and so my testimony is true, he said. By the way, there are other testimonies besides that of the scriptures that record the crucifixion of Jesus. And uh, Josephus, some of you are no doubt familiar with that Romano-Jewish historian, Flavius Josephus. And, and he actually writes, he wrote about 93 to 94 AD, he writes of the account of the crucifixion of Jesus. And in his 18th book, or the Antiquities 18. And the third chapter, he writes this. Now there was about this time Jesus, a wise man. If it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ, Josephus said. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men amongst us, had condemned him to the cross... Those that loved him at the first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive again the third day, as the divine prophets had foretold these and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him. And the tribe of Christians, so named from him, are not extinct at this day. What a testimony. I was on the airplane talking with a guy one time. By the way, airplanes are great places to witness. Where can they go? Amen. I know they can crawl over there in the corner and put in the earphones and all that stuff nowadays. But still, uh, I remember talking with one gentleman and I I asked him what he thought about the resurrection of Jesus. He said, oh, it's all just a hoax. The whole thing. Jesus never existed. And I said, what? I said, are you serious? Yeah, the Bible is just all a bunch of lies. I said, "Okay, let's forget the Bible for a moment and let's talk about all the other writings concerning the person of Jesus. There's a lot more information out there, such as we've just read from the historian Josephus. There's a lot of external biblical information that you could look at as well. Now, for me, it's enough that the Scripture says it. Can I get an "Aha"? huh But that's not the way it is for a lot of people. I said that to say this, that Jesus, the Son of God, was on the cross Matthew chapter 27, in the recording of the crucifixion, the Bible records in verse 54, So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that happened, they feared greatly, saying, listen to what they said, truly this was the Son of God. Now they didn't know the prophecy, they didn't know, or they would have said this is instead of this was, because he's coming back. the Son of God. Acts chapter 5 and verse 30 describes the death of Jesus on the cross with a very strong term. It says, The God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Galatians 3 and verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. What are we talking about? For those of you that know a little bit about theology, you know that this is known as the substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus Christ, where he took our place. He became cursed for us. The Bible, by the way, indicates to us that not only did the Jews crucify Jesus, but the Gentiles alike. You know, sometimes we have a tendency to blame the Jewish people and we say, you know, they they crucified Jesus. No, no, you read the scriptures and you find we're the ones who crucified Jesus. He died for us. In our place. A.W. Pink, who I enjoy reading many times in his commentaries, he wrote this little saying, let me read it to you if you would. He suffered in our stead, he saved his people thus. The curse that fell upon his head was due by right to us. The storm that bowed his blessed head is hushed forever now, and rest divine is mine instead, while glory crowns his brow. The Bible tells us in Deuteronomy 21, That he who is hanged on a tree is accursed of God. So why did all this happen? Well, the Bible tells us that God the Father said, the only thing I'll accept for the remission of sin is the shedding of blood. And so Jesus became that sacrifice. Keep in mind, he was not born of man, he was born of woman. Keep in mind that Mary was a virgin when she conceived with Jesus. And the Bible tells us that that his father was the Holy Ghost. And the Bible tells us then that Jesus did not have the inherited sin nature of Adam. He didn't have the, the inherited sin of Adam, which meant he was qualified to die in our place no one else could do this only jesus matthew chapter 27 and verse 42 the crowd would gather around and shout and verse 42 says he saved others himself he cannot save if he is the king of israel let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him When I read that, I'm reminded of how people today say things similar. Or maybe they're not saying, come down from the cross and we'll believe him. But they say something else. If he would just do a miracle in my life, then I'll believe he exists. Had Jesus come down off the cross, none of us could be saved. None of us could be saved. But he stayed there for us. He could have called To his father, and his father would have sent legions of angels and delivered him at any point in time. But he stayed there. Again, it wasn't the nails that held him, it was the love he had for us that held him there. So if he'll just do what I want him to do, if he'll do something I can see, well, where then is the faith in what he has said? And that becomes important that we understand. The people sneered, the Bible says in Luke 23, and in Acts chapter 2 and verse 22, the Bible says, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified, and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. What does all this come down to? Probably the most familiar passage of scripture in all the word of God, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. That's a remarkable phrase. How can a person endure this? How can a person go through this? And keep in mind, he knew all of it was coming. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The Bible tells us, man, what a verse. Uh, it, It says, for the joy that was set before him. What is that joy? When you place your faith and trust in what he did on the cross of Calvary, that's his joy. You are his joy. I am his joy. We are his joy. What a remarkable thing that is that he went through all that he went through for us. Now, the sign is visible, and the sun is visible, but there is another thing, a third thing I want to talk to you about that the Bible says was on the cross that is not visible to us, but it was visible to God. Let me show it to you. It's in Colossians chapter 2. We're going to call it simply the sin that was satisfied there. Number three in your notes. The sin that was satisfied there. Notice Colossians chapter 2 with me, beginning in verse 13. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross so here's what we find the bible tells us that to the visible eye there is a sign a a titulus the romans called it but the sign didn't contain accusations It it contained a title king of the jews but there were accusations that were nailed to the cross not visible to the human eye but visible to god knowing that they were there by the lord jesus and the bible says what those accusations were were not those that belonged to Jesus but those that belong to us every sin you'll ever commit was there nailed to the cross Jesus died for those sins for those sins It's a remarkable thing we read in the scriptures. For he made him who knew no sin, 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You're familiar, no doubt, with the hymn, It Is Well. Horatio Spafford wrote these words in the third stanza. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. Every time the devil comes and accuses you, and the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that he is called the accuser of the brethren, and night and day, he comes before God, and he brings you, and he brings me, and he says, look at what they did. Here it is. Let me write it down for you. Let me show it to you what he did. Uh, and, and, And when he looks at that, I believe he says, you know, I've seen that before. It was nailed to the cross. It was taken care of. That's already been paid for. It's already been taken care of. It's a remarkable thing that Jesus has done. Now, the scriptures tell us something that's of interest. When Jesus was on the cross and the sin was rolled on him, The Bible records for us in Matthew 27, in verse number 46, in about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We look at this and I've heard it explained various ways. I remember as a young preacher hearing people preach on the subject and saying, you see, here's what happened. At that time when all of the sin of the world was rolled on Jesus, God just simply could not look on him and turned away from him. And I struggled with that even as a young preacher and I thought, wait a minute. If I understand God correctly, and there's a possibility that I don't, but if I understand him correctly, then God sees all things as though they are right now. And there is nothing hidden from him. Right? Right. So that meant that that was not the first time he had seen all the sin of the world. So I I rejected that explanation for Eli, Eli, Lamas, the Batch, And I come to find out that the term forsaken means to withdraw. It does not mean to turn back on or to turn away from. To withdraw. Why would this happen? Why would God the Father? Because Jesus said, I and my Father are one and everything I do, I do with the Father. But this one thing, Hebrews chapter 1 tells us what it is. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse number 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. For a split second, if you will, or for a moment, God the Father became the recipient of the sacrifice for sin that was the Lord Jesus Christ. Why have you withdrawn from me to receive the atonement for our sins? This is not a turning of the back, but a receiving of the sacrifice from the Son, who by himself purged us from our sin. You say, okay, preacher, I'm hearing you, I'm listening to you. So Jesus died for all my sin. So there's nothing then that I have to do. Well, hold on a minute. (laughs) Romans chapter 3. Would you go there with me? Romans chapter 3 in verse 23. Let's talk about all of us for just a minute. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. For all have sinned and and fall short of the glory of God. So I want you to look at your neighbor and tell them that's talking about you. (laughs) For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So then the Bible goes on. Look at it with me. Just just read with me a moment. Verse number uh, 24. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus... Who God set forth as a propitiation by his blood. Now, that's a fancy word, it means satisfaction. So, the blood of Jesus Christ satisfied our sin debt. That's what it said. But notice this phrase through faith. This is very important. Through faith. To demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one, notice this, who has faith in Jesus. There's that again. Who has faith in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Now I want you to hear what I'm about to say. Exercising faith is not a work. We just read that. We just read that. So here sits a person who says, well if Jesus died for all my sin, I don't do anything. No sir, no ma'am. You must by faith accept what he did. You say, well, that's a work. Not according to the Bible. There's a difference between exercising faith and what we call works. It is not by the law of works, but it is by the law of faith. The Bible tells us if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. That's not a work. That's an exercising of faith. So to simply say you believe that Jesus is the Savior doesn't make him your Savior. To believe that he died for the sin of the world doesn't mean you've claimed the precious blood of Christ for your sin. Right. Right. I want to tell you there'll be a lot of religious people that wind up in the lake of fire. There's a whole lot of people who say, wait a minute, I believe, I believe Jesus existed. I believe he died on the cross. I believe all that stuff the preacher's talking about. But Jesus said it this way, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Not about going through the waters. It's not about how many times a month you come to church. It's not about how much you give to the Lord's work. It's about whether or not you've ever asked Jesus Christ to be your savior. Whether you yourself have put your faith in what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. Now if you've done that, that's a wonderful thing. If you haven't, I encourage you to do that today. Don't put it off. Don't wait. You don't know when you're going to have another opportunity to do so. Or if you will. If you will. For the rest of us, we know Jesus is our Savior. I ask you this, how? How can commitment to him be a struggle for us? When we take a fresh look at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. By knowing what was on the cross, how could it ever be an issue of whether we're sold out to him or not? How could it be? Thanksgiving is coming up we've got a lot of guests in town a lot of people visiting with us thank you so much for being here I hope you really enjoy the Thanksgiving but listen of all the things you're thankful for your salvation ought to be at the top man what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary ought to be at the very top I want you to think about what he did I want you to think about how he offers full pardon and forgiveness of your sin, how he endured the pain so that we could know the gain of eternal life. I confess to you, I have trouble comprehending it. I really do. Would you bow with me, please?